Welcome to the Campus Preacher Podcast on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. I'm your host, Keith Darrell, and this is episode three, the gospel, hellfire and brimstone preaching, and rulers be warned. Behold, a sore went forth to sow, bearing precious seed in his hand. Welcome to the Campus Preacher Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism, which hopefully you are involved in the work of evangelism in some way, shape, or form, uh, personally as well as corporately in your church. And if you're not, hopefully you're listening to this to uh, figure out how you go about it. And if you're not doing it, I would encourage you to, you know, look on the Twitter, uh, the Facebook, the Google, and realize kind of what's going on in America. Uh, we're, we're basically plumb insane. And um, evangelism is one of those things that helps uh, orient me in what I think is a otherwise pretty sin-mad world. And so uh, if, we're gonna, if you're going to listen to this podcast on a regular basis, um, one, I am not going to chase a bunch of ephemeral issues. I'm not going to do like the hot topic each week and, and chase a bunch of things. I think the, the best thing to do long-term is provide you biblical substance that will orient you around the gospel, orient you around the kingdom of God, that in turn, when you are pressed up against issues week in, week out, you know the scriptures, you have an idea of what's going on, and you're able to apply the scriptures. And that's what wisdom is, your ability to know what's going on and then apply the scriptures to your situation. And wisdom begins with fear of the Lord. And um, if you don't have that, ask the Lord for it. And then the other thing I'm going to do a lot is refer probably to Psalm 2 and as well as Acts chapter 17. Those two verses are, um, or those two chapters are kind of etched in my head. And the reason Psalm chapter 2 is, it's quoted in Acts chapter 4. And Psalm chapter 2 begins with, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain against the Lord and against his anointed? Um, and so when you look at, you know, you turn on the TV and you look at the news and you see all the political fracas going on in our country and kind of the madness with abortion and sex and you know, pornography and all this sort of stuff. Um, those are all aspects of the nation's raging. And the good news of the gospel uh, is twofold, um, and it's going to tie into our gospel and hell farm so I'm preaching, is that um, it judges and it redeems. And so Psalm chapter 2 is going to play out a lot in my thinking. So uh, hopefully each week, I'll give you 15 minutes of hopefully some spiritual substance, pure spiritual milk, as well as uh, some substance that you can uh, chew upon and be nourished upon. And, um, you know, even if you get done with this podcast today, go and you read Psalm 2, I think that would do you well because it's going to help orient you in a world that's kind of insane, I think. And then if you were to read Acts chapter 17, starting in, I believe it's verse 21, when Paul is provoked in his spirit, and so he goes in the synagogue, and he reasons with people. And so in there, Paul sees that the city is filled with idols, and he realizes the problem's idolatry. So he goes, and he reasons with them, and then uh, he's brought before the city council, basically. And so, so in Athens, if you're going to uh, introduce a new god into the town, uh, believe it or not, the city council thought they would sit in judgment of that god. And that's part of why Paul says, oh, um, by the way, that this unknown God, that's what I'm here to make known to you. Um, it, it, Paul's basically saying God's been there the whole time. And then he flips the script and says, oh, and this Jesus, 
um, whom God raised from the dead. He's going to judge the world in righteousness. So you don't sit in judgment of him. He sits in judgment of you. And uh, so that whole section of Acts 17 is, is thoroughly etched in my head um, because, you know, step foot on a college campus, it's filled with idols, and we can either be provoked and just be angry and lash out, or we can go and reason with them, or we can totally compromise. Paul does not compromise. He announces the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ and calls men and women to repentance, and that's um, evangelism, and that's what we're seeking to do, announce good news that the king is willing to forgive them, lay down your weapons, and there won't be war, but if you don't want to lay down your weapons, uh, the king uh, will judge you with righteousness. And so that's, uh, you know, those two passages, and they're going to come up later in our discussion today, but those two passages are pretty central to my thinking. Um, now, before we kind of round out today's um, discussion on the gospel and hellfire and brimstone preaching, an ever so brief recap from last week, In uh, we looked at 1 Samuel chapter 4, where a gospeler was one who brought the news that the ark had been captured. And so if you remember the story of the Israelites, they go to fight the Philistines. They think they'll just bring up the ark to win. Philistines capture the ark. Man comes running back to Samuel and announces that the uh, ark has been captured. And then the baby's born, uh, Ichabod. And the, baby, and the mom dies and Samuel dies. And the glory of the Lord's departed. And then also in 1 Samuel chapter 18, um, when Absalom dies and the runners come back and they announce the news that uh, Absalom has been killed to David. And so, so the gospeler is the, the one who's announcing the news. And so kind of if you think of like the Middle Ages and a town crier, um, that's kind of what a, a gospeler is, a guy, hear ye, hear ye. And so that's kind of a little bit of the gospeler. But then kind of central to last week's uh, discussion to give us a little more context as far as what the gospel is, uh, we looked at what's called the Prien. Inscription is from about, I believe it's, 6 or it's 9 BC, and it's uh, kind of a fascinating inscription. If you were to Google it, P-R-I-E-N-E, you can readily find it online. And if you uh, read this in conjunction, say, with Mark chapter 1, I think you can see where Mark's ideas, uh, I'm not saying he's straight taking it from this, but but he's writing in a context of um, the Greco-Roman world, and I I believe something like this would be in the backdrop of his head. But it... um, but it says this, uh, that, that you know, wisdom has sent uh, Augustus Caesar to us as a savior, both for us and our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipation, surpassing all previous benefactors, and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done, and since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings or gospel, for the world that came by reason of him. And so the announcement that uh, Augustus Caesar was born is a gospel, and they thought that he was going to bring this peace and everything else. So the good news of the birth of this king um, what, what would have been in the kind of a backdrop of the term gospel in the first century. And so the announcement that Jesus Christ was born, the Son of God, uh, the gospel, would have these political overtones and ruling overtones. And then uh, tied into that, is uh, not only the the Greco-Roman world that the gospel would have been used, but if we go back to the book of Isaiah, um, so again, Mark's gospel begins quoting Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verse 3, where it talks about John the Baptist paving the way, a voice of one crying in the wilderness. So uh, the preinscription, inscription uh, Mark chapter 1, and then Isaiah chapter 40, 
And uh, in Isaiah 40, it says this. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. And then as well as in Isaiah 52, uh, verse 7, it says, How beautiful upon the mountain are those who bring good news, or the gospel, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And so, ever so briefly, the context of Isaiah 40, uh, from 40 on, is basically how Yahweh uh, will restore the Israelites who are in exile. So for an Israelite, the gospel deals with a return from exile. So in Psalm 137, um, I don't know if you ever have heard the song, By the Waters of Babylon, uh, where we sat down, I can't sing. But uh, we're, so in Psalm 137, they, they said, By the waters of Babylon, we sat down and we wept. And they wept because they thought of Zion. So think of being a people, being a nation, being conquered by another people group, being led into slavery, into exile, and then not only you lose your land and your culture and your identity and those sorts of things, uh, but, but vital to all of that would have been the aspect that they had lost the temple and they lost the presence of Yahweh and they lost his rule and reign. And instead of him ruling and reigning over him, uh, like he did in the Exodus when he brought them out from Pharaoh and brought him under his rule and reign and God is life. So it's a good place to be in his presence is the fullness of joy and his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And in the temple, uh, the Jews should have been finding life. And instead they became idolaters and they were led into exile. So being in exile, um, to, to compound the problem, not only have you lost all this stuff, um, but it's your fault. You're the idolater. And Yahweh says, when you do this, you'll be led into exile. So the Israelites knew that not only did they need to break off the, the rule of the Romans and Caesars and the Greeks and uh, Babylon and these, these people, they also knew that they needed forgiveness from Yahweh. And the good news of the gospel is how Yahweh will deal with their sins and he'll bring them all back into their land that they could dwell in his temple again. He would be their God and they would be his people. And so it's with that backdrop when John the Baptist arrives on the scenes that you could imagine the excitement uh, that these things are going to end. The Romans are going to be thrown off and Yahweh is going to rule and reign over us and our sins are going to be forgiven and we will prosper. And um, what ends up happening is... Uh, the would-be Messiah, they thought, was now crucified, dead, and buried. Uh, but then on the third day, he rose from the dead, and he ascends into heaven. And quoting Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand uh, until I make an enemy of footstools for your feet. So that's that's the kind of the backdrop of gospel. The gospel is a public announcement. It is... Um, the town crier, it's the person going out into the public and announcing the good news that the battle's over, um, that you know our God, our God in this context has won, our God rules and reigns, and it's um, that that we are actually going out into the nations and announcing. And if we're going to be involved in evangelism, we, de- we need to know that in the simplicity of announcing that message, God will save people. So in Romans 1, Chapter 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and salvation. Um, another verse I often quote is Philippians chapter 1, where Paul says, I don't care what someone's motive is, as long as the gospel is preached. Because Paul's confidence was that in the, no matter even if someone was selfish and ambitious, that if we announce this message of the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, God's power 
uh, so to speak, is unleashed in this world, and it will change hearts and minds so that even selfishly ambitious people can preach the gospel and people can get saved because the power does not lie in the individual but in the gospel itself. And that ties into uh, the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Um, When I was in college, I was involved with a ministry that was often emphasizing the Great Commission and the idea that we are to go into all nations, and it was go, 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 go. And uh, the reason we go, though, is that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teach them to observe and baptize them, and um, all that is included in that Great Commission. And so that's where you, if you're going to do evangelism, you need the hope and your confidence that it's not in you, it's not in your clever uh, rhetoric, and it's things we all know. But at the end of the day, the reason we don't evangelize is at the end of the day, uh, usually that we're scared, um, we might not know what to say in certain things, like apologetic instances, but usually it goes to come up, and you have to make that split-second decision, and you know if you mention the name of Jesus, the air in the room changes. And what we need is the confidence that by announcing this message, um, that the king will carry out his work in the simplicity of preaching the gospel. And in the simplicity of preaching the gospel, one of the things that we do have to uh, brush upon and get at is the idea of judgment. And uh, I've thought about this a bit more with the whole uh, New York Health Reproductive Act and uh, reading uh, Governor Cuomo's uh, comment that he's not there to uh, legislate religion. Um, But interestingly enough, a few months ago, um, when uh, Pope Francis, I believe it's Francis, um, came out against the death penalty, you know, he has to make the statement he stands in solidarity with the Pope and he wants to abolish the death penalty. And um, this is kind of a little bit of an aside, but, but, but if you just take our culture right now, um, we're, we're basically seeking to do everything wrong. So a governor's job, according to Matthew, uh, Romans chapter 13, is to execute wrath upon evildoers. And he's like, nope, uh, we're not going to execute uh, criminals. Uh, we're going to eradicate, he called it a stain, and so we're going to get rid of the death penalty. Uh, but innocent babies, uh, we'll call that a choice. And so mothers, uh, you know, Eve was called the mother of all living, so uh, a, a mother is to be able to give birth, but here we are killing our children, and the state is to protect the innocent, and here they are not only sanctioning that, but then in turn uh, protecting uh, the criminal as well. So we're, we're just kind of turning everything on its head, um, and this is where something like Psalm 2 comes in, um, and where even as Christians we should kind of be calm and steady amidst it all rather than shrill and angry and bitter, is that... Uh, Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, and and we pray. Um, He says, ask of me, and I will give you the nations uh, your heritage as your heritage. And so Jesus will get the nations. Um, It might be just a matter of time, but we are to ask him for those things. And part of what we do, you know, if we had an audience with uh, the governor of New York or the state legislator, we would uh, say, uh, you rulers be warned, be wise. As they say in Psalm chapter 2, kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish in your way or the Lord uh, will break you. And so, uh, you know, this is where it comes into the idea of judgment. Um, We should not be afraid to preach the judgment of God. Um, You get a lot of that throughout uh, the New Testament. If you read all the uh, sermons in Acts, um, they inevitably include an aspect of judgment, uh, be it Acts 17, be it in Acts chapter 2, and as, as well as here in Psalm chapter 2, I think you get the whole gospel is basically the call to repentance. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in your way. 
And so as we go out and we evangelize, we cannot allow America to think that they are uh, free and sovereign from the Lord and that they get to do whatever it is that they want to do. And the very nature of preaching that Jesus Christ is Lord and King and has all rule and authority and calling people to repentance is because he actually has authority and power over people's lives and they owe their allegiance uh, to him rather than to something else. And so um, if we're going to preach judgment, um, and it's kind of funny because uh, what I'm saying here is actually uh, not usually well received. I, I, I'm still 100% affirming the doctrine of hell, um, so don't hear what I'm not saying. But I'm not merely punting on the doctrine of the doctrine of judgment until some future date. I want to maintain that it's a present reality. And so, as I mentioned last week, and I'll mention again, when Jerusalem's destroyed, um, Jesus did that. If you read Matthew chapter 24, Jesus destroyed Jerusalem. I think uh, part of the view of uh, New Testament eschatology, uh, which includes the fall of the Roman Empire, and we should also uh, still think that it's what Jesus is currently doing in his rule and his reign. He is in the process of shaking all nations, including uh, our current rulers and powers and principalities and authorities, and he's doing all those things. And so without falling into uh, prey of uh, the likes of a Pat Robertson, so if, uh, you know, he'll, he'll chime in and say something, it's the judgment of God, and everybody loses their mind because nobody wants to hear about the judgment of God. And oftentimes when people want to reject the doctrine of hell, they'll discover that many of Jesus' judgments are referring to the upcoming historical judgment upon Jerusalem. Um, and so somehow people are comfortable with that idea that, yeah, the, Jesus isn't really speaking about hell. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. But if we were to speak of an imminent judgment, uh, people would not be happy that some act in history would still be the judgment of God. Because at the end of the day, men and women do not want to hear about the judgment of God. Um, but it's ultimately what we find throughout the Bible, and we find in the death of Jesus Christ that uh, he stood in our place in judgment, and we've been reconciled to God. And so part and parcel of our gospel is the judgment of God, because God is holy, and he opposes sin in his holiness. Um, and so the big contradiction in the Bible is God reconciling sinners uh, to himself. How can God clear? Uh, the Bible says God will in no way clear uh, the guilty, and he will no way condemn the innocent. But in the gospel, Jesus being innocent is condemned, and us being guilty are now pardoned. Um, and that's what we get to go out and announce. And so our gospel includes both and includes a judgment, includes a love, includes grace and mercy and the kindness and the love of God. And these are the things that we get to go out and to announce. And so uh, hopefully um, the past two weeks helps orient you in the gospel, um, gives you confidence that Jesus does have all authority. He's king, he rules, he's sovereign, and you can go into your workplace, fill with the Holy Spirit and, you know, don't do what I do over the cubes. Uh, we'll get into more specifics of how you go about doing it. Um, but what you need is just the basic confidence that you can tell the story of the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by the grace of God, people's hearts will be changed for all eternity. And that's the beauty of the simplicity of the gospel, the wisdom of God that he takes you and me in the simplicity of sharing the story and changing people's hearts and minds for all eternity. Um, so thank you for joining us on the Campus Preacher Podcast on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, and we'll see you next week. Behold, a sore went forth to sow, bearing precious seed in his hand, hoping and hope that he might see it grow.